Welcome to a continued reading of Thoughts on the Religious Experience by Archibald Alexander from chapter 17 and page 195 of the Banner of Truth edition. Chapter 17, Deathbed Exercises of Andrew Ribet. I propose now to give a summary view of the recorded experiences of several eminent persons on their deathbed. And as comparisons among the living are odious, so also among the dead. I'll endeavour to act the part of an impartial and faithful narrator, but having given my analysis, I'll leave my readers to judge respecting the genuineness of the devotion to the persons whose exercises shall be introduced. Our accounts of the death scenes of the apostles are too brief to enable us to say much about them, but judging from their epistles, we may conclude that they met death not only with firmness, but with joy. Not one of them ever expresses the least fear of death. On the contrary, Paul speaks with exultation of the prospect before him, for he explains, I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which God the righteous judge will give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all who love his appearing. And Peter, who knew that he was to go out of the world by violent death, as Christ had showed him, yet seems to be no how troubled about it, but when old, speaks of it with the utmost composure. Yea, I think it meet, says he, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. No doubt John, the beloved disciple, sweetly fell asleep, with love upon his lips and in his heart. His whole soul seems to have been dissolved into love, and to such a man death could have no terrors. His brother James, who was slain by the sword of Herod, is the only one of the apostles of whose death we have an account in the sacred word, except the awful account of the suicide of the traitor. Of the circumstances of the death of James, who seems to have been one of the most distinguished, and who always, when a selection was made to witness any particular scene, was one of them, the historian with characteristic brevity says, now about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to that servant of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. From this we may learn that in order to go safely to heaven, it is not necessary that we should have a laudatory or orbitary on earth. I have often been shocked with the thought that while a man's eulogy is pronounced upon earth, the poor soul may be riding and blaspheming in the torments of hell. Among the members of the primitive church, Stephen was a first martyr, and his death was, I shall not say heroic, for heroes know nothing of Christ or heaven, but I will say it was Christian, for which is a much better style of dying than any of the heathen heroes or heroines knew anything about. He was well prepared, for he had just before been favoured with a direct view into heaven and saw Christ on the right hand of God. No wounds on the body would be felt by one absorbed in such a heavenly vision. Oh, how little can they harm us, who can do more than kill the body. They rushed upon the man, hurried him to the place of execution, stoned him, calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. There was nothing wanting here to render this a glorious death. And as he is called the proto-martyr, so his death was a prototype of the deaths of succeeding martyrs. The accounts given of the joys and triumphs of some of them approximate the miracle, but we know not how insensible to bodily pain the soul may be rendered, which is overflowing with the love of Christ. This is the true secret of their ambition to be crucified or burnt or cast to the wild beasts. But as these martyrs seem to have been another race of men from us, and lived in times very different from us, let us come down and contemplate the dying Christian in circumstances similar to our own, 
and see what grace can do in these latter days. And I propose to select the experiences of men of different countries. The accounts which I shall bring forward are not new. To some of my readers they may all be familiar. But as the, man were, as the men were eminent in the church and distinguished for talents, their biographies, being commonly known, will answer the end in view better than the deathbed exercises of unknown persons of whose lives we could have no satisfactory information. The first person of whose dying exercises I propose to give a condensed narrative is Andrew Rivet. 1573 1651, a Frenchman by birth and education, but who spent the greater part of his life in Holland, where at Leiden he was professor of theology. The learned need not be informed that in that age when theology was more thoroughly studied than in any other since the Apostles' days, Andrew Rivet had no superior, whether you contemplate him as neither exegetical or polemical a theologian. His acquaintance with the Christian fathers was most exact and extensive, and he knew how to estimate their labours, and what deference was due to their authority, of which he gave full evidence in the work entitled Criticacy Sacri, which is now the best guide on this subject which the young theologian can follow. Rubik's theology was as sound as it was extensive. His great learning did not turn his head or lead him into heresy but it will be seen by the following narrative how little value is set on all his learning compared with the teaching of the Divine Spirit. <laughs> Having preached a sermon on Christmas Day, 1650, he was immediately afterwards taken ill with a constipation of the bowels. Of a beloved niece who attended on him, he asked what she thought of his disease, which he thought would prove mortal. She answered that she was of the same opinion but that he had nothing to fear, having been long prepared to follow God when he should call, and that his life had already been long, and nothing remained to be desired, but that it should be crowned with a happy and glorious end. Thou speakest right, said he, and I pray thee always address thyself to me with light speeches, and while my sickness continues, depart not from me day nor night. Promise me now that thou wilt keep a cheerful countenance, and that thou wilt speak nothing to me but what may administer joy and support to me. Although I fear not death, yet I fear the trial of those pains which I have always had a very sharp feeling of. Then suddenly turning his speech unto God, he said, Great God, thou art my Father, thou hast given me both life and new life, thou hast taught me from my youth, and I have declared thy wonderful works. Forsake me not now in my old age, hitherto through thy peculiar favour. Thou hast preserved me sound in my body and my faculties, and the functions of my mind have not been impaired, so that a little before I was oppressed by this disease, I found myself as apt and ready for the exercise of my vocation as in my flourishing youth. O Lord God, if it be thy will that I should long and attend upon thy service, thou canst assuage my disease in one moment. If thou hast decreed otherwise, thy will be done. This one thing I beg with most inward affections, that thou wilt make me conformable to thy good will, that not thy good spirit depart from me, that in this conflict thy strength may make me a conqueror. Accomplish this, O Lord, for thine own sake, and since thou hast employed me in thy work, grant that I may die an honourable death, and such as may be an example unto others, that I may stand fast in that sound doctrine which I have been taught, and may make a good confession thereof before witnesses, that thereby thy church may be both instructed and edified. Let me apply to myself by a lively faith all the promises of the gospel, and let them put forth their efficacy in me, unto my joy and eternal consolation, that nothing in the world neither affliction nor distress may separate me from thee or cause me to doubt of thy love and favour. Thou knowest my weakness and infirmities. Permit not the grievousness of my pain to cast me into impatience or murmuring. Either make my pains tolerable or furnish me with fortitude and constancy sufficient to bear them 
that I may not offend in my tongue, keep thou the door of my lips. The pains of his disease were very great, but he continued to call upon God for help and for support. His expressions of his own sinfulness for weakness were of the most abasing kind. Confessing himself to be a miserable sinner and casting away all confidence in any good thing which he had done in his life, he accused his only pets and ascribed unto God all the good which he had ever done, often repeating such expressions as these, It is God that hath wrought the work for me. Shall I allege or plead my own righteousness before him? Far be it left from me, that if I should justify myself, my own mouth would condemn me. I will rather open my sin before him in most humble confession of it, and pray that he will increase in me the grace of true repentance. Yea, let me wear out this body with sorrow. It matters not. So he give me a broken and a contrite spirit, which is a sacrifice acceptable unto himself. As for my part, I do most willingly offer up myself. Accept, O Lord, this imperfect sacrifice, and supply the defects thereof by the perfect righteousness of that great high priest, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unto God without spot. Let me be accepted as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing unto God, which is our reasonable service. Crucify, O Lord, this old man, that the body of sin may be utterly destroyed, and that I may rise to newness of life. The wages of sin is death, and the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He repeated the word gift, and added, It is mere grace, not of works, but of him that calleth. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. He rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. After a short sleep, he proceeded in the following strain. I am God's, and he will save me. He hath honoured me with a holy calling, and hath not suffered his gift to be altogether useless in me, as to the edification of his church. As to myself, I can most truly affirm that I have not served him for filthy lucre, but with a sincere heart, and that I first was first persuaded, that I myself was first persuaded of the truth of the gospel before I preached it to others. I tasted the good word of God, which by its power pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Thou hast known my heart, O eternal God. Thou knowest I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, but have esteemed it my only honour to serve thee, and that I have delighted myself in the pleasure of obeying thy will. Such was thy goodness to me. I truly and humbly acknowledge that whatsoever good thing was in me flowed from thy grace, that my effects ought to be ascribed to my inbred corruption. Alas, I acknowledge this with humble and serious repentance. How often have I sinned in so holy a charge, not only by omitting many things which I ought to have done, but also by doing many things amiss. Long since had I cast off, were it not that I had to do with so good a Lord, who had borne with me, and had been so gracious to me, as not to exact a severe account of my words and works. Alas, O Lord my God, Enter not into judgment with thy servant, for in thy sight shall no man living be justified. Let me not let me be found not having my own righteousness with the righteousness of thy son, for the sake of whom I beg thy pardon. Pardon, O my God, pardon the iniquity of thy servant, who is devoted to thy fear. I refuse not thy discipline, I know it is necessary, only this I earnestly beg that it may turn to my salvation. Chasten me, O Lord, but in measure, lest thou bring me to nothing. Let not thy trial exceed my strength, lest I sin through impatience, and become a scandal to those I should edify. He uttered many similar expressions for which we have no room. To Renesius, a doctor of divinity who came to see him, he said, 
I pray you testify unto all men that I die in the faith and the doctrine which I have always delivered, both in preaching and writing, and in some things I have heard, I pray God that he will make perfect all my imperfections. He received the visits of all who expressed a desire to see him, and would have none hindered from coming to him. Let all that will, said he, have access to visit me. I ought to give an example of dying to other men. And to those who stood around his bed, he said, Come, see a man who is an example of the great mercy of God. What shall I render unto him? All his benefits overwhelm me. He has so disposed my life that in my whole course I have had a healthy body. He has heaped upon me both temporal and spiritual blessings. And now before I am rendered feeble or morose through old age, he comes unto me to make provision for me. He has both called me and made me willing to follow at his call. And now when the end of my life is within my view, he still affords me the perfect use of reason, that I may praise my God in the land of the living and instruct my neighbours by my example. Pray for me, my friends, that this grace may be continued unto me until I draw my last breath, that he will strengthen my faith, confirm my patience, and raise my hope. He hath already captivated all my affections to his will. I have cast the care of me, of mine, of life, and all my affairs upon him. Let him do with my body as it pleaseth him, so it may but be well with my soul. And now there is nothing I am concerned about. Neither in my life, neither is my life dear unto me, so that I may finish my course with joy, and fulfill the ministry which I have received of the Lord, which is best done at the last. He would not permit any clergyman who came to see him to go away without praying with him. It grieved him much that his wife, who was of feeble health, should be subjected to so much fatigue and watchfulness in attending on him. But as she was unwilling to leave him, he said, Since so I have it so, tarry, it is a pleasure to me to see thee. The Lord strengthen thee. Friday night was spent in grievous pains and in most ardent prayers for the church of God, for the princes who were defenders of it for the people who lived under their jurisdiction, and for the pastor to whom the care of souls was committed. He seemed to be greatly interested in behalf of the United Provinces of Holland. O God, said he, who draw not thy protection from these provinces, neither remove thy candlestick away. Let not thine anger burn against them, because of their impiety and profaneness, which hath made too great a progress. Rather bow their hearts unto repentance and convert them, that thy judgments may be prevented. Let them coalesce in one body, especially let them be joined unto thee, without whom all union is but conspiracy. Preside in their assembly and bend their hearts so that all their decrees may lean to the good of the commonwealth and especially of the church. Rivet's sufferings were exceedingly great, but he bore them with wonderful patience, and whenever there was the least interval of ease, he was engaged in prayer or exhortation. On the last day of December, after having endured indescribable agonies from the disease and from the remedies made use of, he offered up the following fervent prayer to the church. O Lord, it is thy possession, which thou hast purchased with thine own blood. Forsake not thine own work, that the holy jealousy be kindled in thee. Lift up high the arms of thy power, and bring down the audacious ones which tyrannize over thy flock. Rebuke thou the negligent that heal her wounds slightly. Turn to the right way those that wonder, and strengthen those ready to fall through division. Gather both the one and the other to thyself, and to one body, building them up upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building that we frame together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. And then, making a little pause, he said, I have been one of those builders. I have brought what I received from the Lord that I might put to my helping hand with others 
towards the building of the temple, and I myself shall be a living stone in the house. On the first day of the year, 1651, which was the Lord's Day, upon opening his eyes, he said, O Lord, thou hast granted me to see the beginning of the year. Thou hast measured out thy time unto the middle of this age. Having sent to the Hague for his son, he inquired respecting the weather, and being informed that the cold was sharp and severe, he prayed thus, O my God, bring my son unto me, that I may see him, embrace him, and bless him before I die. Then turning to his wife, he said, Dost thou think that this earnest desire to see my son proceeds from mere natural affection? Nothing less. Truly I love no man any more according to the flesh. I earnestly desire his eternal salvation, and I hope to have such discourses with him as will increase his zeal in adorning his spiritual vocation. His son was a minister. As yet spirit and utterance sufficient for this work, that none be hindered from coming to me. It is usual for a man in my station, by administering others, publicly to make profession of his own faith, not for the sake of a little vain glory, O Lord, thou knowest, for it little concerns me to be approved unto men, provided I may approve myself unto God. But I desire the salvation of many, and give testimony of the truth to those things which I have publicly taught. Some officers of the garrison, having come to see him, two or three of whom were from France, he addressed them in the following manner. I rejoice that I have an opportunity to make a confession of my faith before you, that are my countrymen. And I pray you to keep it in memory, and give testimony of it where it shall be necessary. You see before you a man, weak indeed, but without guile, who solemnly protests that he has never published in his writings, nor taught with his lips, anything that did not agree with the sense of his heart, and the doctrine which has been delivered to us by the prophets and apostles, which is the same with that laid down in the confession of faith of our churches, in which I have lived, and in which I purpose to die. The Lord God Almighty confirm you in that faith, so that nothing may move you from it. For what will it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and the righteousness thereof, and then all other things shall be added unto you. Learn to number your days, and get a wise heart. Look upon me, and let me be as an example unto you. It is but eight days since I preached you, of man's frailty, being myself in health and lively at that time. And now you see the truth of what I said to myself. And then taking leave of them, he said, The Lord deliver you from the allurements of the world, and give you an increase of his sphere and of all spiritual gifts. When his visitors were all gone, and his own family stood around his bed, he said to his niece, My daughter, do not depart from me, but persist with me in the duty of prayer. Do not fear to rehearse all those words to me which God shall suggest unto thy heart or mouth. This sweet and pleasing communication shall help to pass overnight with the more ease, and God will be with us and assist our good intentions. He will help our weaknesses and afford us matter of supplications and thanksgivings. Such discourses are pleasing unto him. He attends unto them that fear, when they walk together, talk together of those things that belong to the salvation of their souls. And then, as one in rapture, he explained, My God, thou hast drawn me, and I was drawn. Thou hast known me from my mother's womb with a merciful and efficacious knowledge. Thou hast called me by the mind, thou hast called me by name. Thou hast bored my ears, and I was attentive. I have declared thy message in the congregation, and thy word was sweeter than honey in my mouth. Who am I, O God, but dust and ashes, an earthen and frail vessel, into which, notwithstanding, thou hast been pleased to pour holy liquor and a seed of immortality? Thou livest, and thou makest me to live. 
I shall not die, but live forever with that life which is hid with Christ in God. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. Over him the second death shall have no power. Behold, I am dead, and also raised from the dead. I live not in myself, but in the life of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Thou hast chosen me before thou gavest me a being. It pleased thee that I should be born of believing parents, and especially of a mother eminent in holiness, who dedicated me to thy service for my tender years. With what care and affection did she implant the seeds of piety in me? And the Almighty God, who worketh in all, gave his blessing to this diligent nurture, and heard her ardent prayers, and my ministry has been accepted of him. I am thy servant, O oh my God, who has taught me from my youth, and I have taught thy wonderful works, and thy grace unto this day, for thy gifts have not been without fruit in me. Thou usest weak instruments for the accomplishment of thy work. Thou hast pardoned, thou hast helped me. Thou hast accepted the truth and sincerity of my heart. And now, O oh my God, seeing it is evident that thou shalt have me retire from this valley of miseries, do not thou forsake me in this last and important act. If it be thy will that I should die, or that also is thy, that also is my will. I am ready. My heart is prepared. I give thee my heart, for that is, for that is it which thou requirest. Let this gift be approved of by thee. Receive this gift which is thy own, from him to whom thou hast given all things who gives himself to thee. O Lord, I give thee thanks, thou instructest me, thou enlightenest me, thou talkest with my soul, O Lord, and embracest me in the arms of thy mercy. Grant also that I may embrace thee by a living, lively faith, and that I may apply unto myself the promise of the gospel, which I have proposed unto others. Let them be effectual in me, that by them I may be supported against all pains, the death itself. Andrew Rivett had a brother in the ministry, nearly as eminent as himself, whom he loved with a very sincere and tender affection. The least who now attended on him was the daughter of his brother, and that he might know the gracious dealings of God towards him in his sickness. He requested his niece to write down whatever he might say from time to time and communicate it to her father. Not, says he, that I would procure praise to myself, but I would have it known to all that the religion which I have professed and taught in the name of God is a true religion and that alone which leads men unto salvation. And particularly I would have my brother informed of that inestimable grace which I have received of God that he may be abundantly comforted and strengthened in this expectation of a better life, which I already enjoy. Oh, how great love have I loved who esteemed him. Yea, I have loved the gifts of God in him, and shall love them to the last. I pray God, who is a giver of every good gift, that he will strengthen and make perfect his own work in him. O oh Lord God, I pray not only for my brother, but for all those in France to whom thou hast committed the conduct and rule of the churches. Bless their persons, sanctify their gifts, grant that they may return to the simplicity which is in Christ, and that they detract not from the glory of God to ascribe unto man what belongs to his salvation. He now broke out in an extraordinary transport. O oh, great and immense mercy! Who can but be wrapped into admiration? He gives both being and well-being. He bestows his gifts. He supports. He pardons. He works in his both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. And when himself has given and wrought all this, yet he gives to us an eternal reward. But not satisfied with sending messages to his brother, on the second day of January, he requested to be raised up and placed in a chair that he might write to him, and accordingly he penned with his own hand a farewell letter, 
full of solemnity and tenderness. He wrote also to his nephew, after which exertion he found himself much exhausted. But the only thing which gave him any uneasiness in mind was, lest he should be disappointed in seeing his son. But his comforts were not uninterrupted. After his regular physicians had given him up, some persons who had known relief in such cases from a particular remedy urged that he should be tried. He submitted, but while the experiment put him in great pain, it produced no change for the better, and when it was over, his mind appeared to be perturbed and uncomfortable. Alas, said he, he has departed from me that made glad my heart. I have grieved the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, who has filled my soul with peace and joy. I have been so wretched and unhappy as to give ear to those who spoke to me of my returning to this world. I have been tickled with the desire of living, and how could such a thing be after the fruits of the heavenly Canaan have been tasted? Here he appeared much distressed, and casting his arms about the neck of his beloved niece, exclaimed, My dear niece, help me. Continue to discourse of good things to me. Call upon the comfort to return, and renew the excellent work which he had begun in me. Oh, return, return, confirm me with thy strength, before I go hence, and be seen no more. He remained in a state of distress for a short time. When he was reminded of the precious promises of God, that being exhausted he fell into a swoon. When he opened his eyes, he said to his wife who was with him, My dearest joke fellow, we have lived together in peace for thirty years, and I thank thee for thy help, which hath been a great comfort unto me, for I did cast all domestic cares on thee. Continue, I beseech thee, to love my children with that pious affection which thou hast shown hitherto, the children were by a former wife. Then returning to his son, who had arrived that morning, he said, And thou, my son, love and honour this dearest companion of my life, the partner of my joys and my sorrows, who have done the duty of a mother towards me. This I desire of thee, and this I pray thee, as thou expectest a blessing from God upon what I have gotten for my labour. Divide it between you, without quarrelling or contention, according to what is just and right. And taking hold of both their hands, and joining them together, he said, Promise that you will maintain a holy and mutual friendship with each other, to which they gave their assent. Then returning to his wife, he said, The Lord bless thee, my dear love, and strengthen thee. He is a husband to the widow, and a father of the fatherless. And to his son, the Almighty Father, bless thee, my son. Guide thee in all thy ways. Enrich thee with all Christian virtues. And plentifully make thee to abound in all spiritual and temporal blessings. Regard not the world, nor its deceitful hopes. For the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. Place all thy felicity in the blessing of God. Be strong in faith and prepared unto every good work. Let the peace of God dwell in thee, and make thee peaceable and kind. And to his niece he said, Farewell, my dear niece. We have a kindred in the heavens, which shall endure forever. After many other discourses, similar to those recorded, he again collected his family and blessed them, and desired all to retire and leave him alone. His niece, who scarcely ever went out of his sight, asked if he wished her to withdraw also. He said, Do not go from me, but be thou a witness of my last hours. And after he had exhausted himself with conversation with his son, Mr. Hosius and others, he was asked how he did. He said, Very well, I feel no pain. I am filled with the grace of God, and not sensible of cold or heat. I fear no more the inconveniences of temporal life. The Spirit of God strengthens me, 
and affords me abundant consolations. I have no doubt of my salvation. He has set me on high. He has hid me in his hiding place. He has fenced me round about, and has perfected whatsoever concerns me. I am like a vessel filled with pure water, which no agitation troubles. It is God that justifies me. Who shall condemn? It is Christ that died. He, rather, is risen again. O oh my God, I thank thee that thou hast given me the spirit of humility, sincerity, and truth. I have not been as a tinkling symbol, O Lord. Thou knowest the secrets of my soul and my inmost thoughts. Thou hast taught me in the school of true doctrine, and I have above all sought the glory of thy name. O Lord, I wait for the moment when thou hast determined. I believe, I persevere, I am not troubled. The Spirit of God witnesses with my spirit that I am a child of God. Though every day was expected to be his last, yet the strength of his constitution enabled him to hold out until Saturday, January the 7th, 1651. To the last, he continued to spend his whole time when awake in prayer and in such discourses as we have recorded. On Thursday morning, when he saw the light of day, he said, It is daylight. I shall shortly no more know the difference between day and night. I am come to the eve of that great and eternal day, and I am going to that place where the sun shall no more give light. God will be an everlasting light unto me. And already, O Lord, thou sendest the rays of that light into my soul, and openest my eyes that I may perceive them. Oh, how powerfully dost thou work in me! While this old man decays, thou puttest on me the new man, which is renewed in knowledge, after the image of him that created it. Deliver me from this prison, that I may celebrate thy name. Neither do I so condemn this body as not to think of its restoration, for I know the dead shall live, yea, my dead body. It is sown in corruption, it shall be raised in incorruption. It is sown a vile body, but it will re-rise a glorious body. It is sown in weakness, but it shall be raised in power again. In a word, it shall be conformed to the glorious body of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has become the first roots of them that slept. I shall see him in my flesh. Mine own eyes shall see him. I shall behold his face in righteousness, and shall be satisfied with his likeness when I awake. The whole of this day was spent in such like discourses. Among other things he said, The sense of divine favor increases in me every moment. My pains are tolerable, and my joy is inestimable. I am no more vexed with earthly cares. I remember when any new book came out, who earnestly have longed after it, but now that is all but dust. Thou art my soul, O Lord, my good is to approach unto thee. Oh, what a library have I have in God, in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Thou art the teacher of spirits. I have learned many more divinity in these ten days than thou hast come to visit me when I did in fifty years before. The last words he attempted to utter were those of Paul. I have fought a good fight, etc. And when others assisted him to finish them, he said, Amen. Chapter 18, Deathbed Exercises and Speeches of Thomas Halliburton Having in the former chapter given an account of Thomas Halliburton's conversion, written by himself in mature age, it will be gratifying to the reader to learn how he ended his course, and how his religion sustained him in the last trying conflict. And here, as in the case of Rivet, much opportunity was given to him to leave behind him an ample testimony of the preciousness of the Lord Jesus Christ and of the power of divine grace to support and comfort the true believer even in the pangs of dissolution. When first seized with mortal sickness, Halliburton experienced for a while a terrible conflict in which he was afraid that his faith would fail. 
But his God was merciful and faithful to his promises and came to his relief. To one who came to see him, he said, I have a great conflict, and my faith is like to trial. Oh, that I may be kept now in this last trial that is ensuing from being an offense to God and his people. When some of his brethren came to see him, he said, I am but young and have but little experience, but this deathbed now adds, makes me old, and therefore I use the freedom to exhort you to faithfulness in the Lord's work. You will never repent this. He is a good master. I have always found him so. If I had a thousand lives, I would think them all too little to employ in his service. But for several days he was under a cloud, and his spiritual joys deserted him. When a friend came in, he said, Oh, what a terrible conflict I had yesterday. But now I can say, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. Now he, he, was, he, now he has filled my mouth with a new song, Jehovah, Jehovah Jireh, in the mount of the Lord. Praise, praise is comely for the upright. Shortly I shall get a different view of God from what I ever had, and shall be more qualified to praise him than ever. Oh, the thoughts of an incarnate God are sweet and ravishing. And how do I wonder at myself that I do not love him more? Oh, that I could honor him. What a wonder that I enjoy so much composure under all my bodily trouble and in view of approaching death. Oh, what a mercy that I have the use of my reason till I have declared his goodness unto me. To his wife he said, He came to me in the third watch in the night, walking upon the waters. And he said to me, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I am dead and am alive, and live forevermore, and have the keys of hell and death. He stood at the tempest, and there was a sweet calm in my soul. To one who requested him to be careful of his health, he replied, I'll strive to last as long as I can, and I'll get my rest ere it be long. I have no more to do with time, but carefully to measure it out for the glory of God. Then he said, I shall see my Redeemer stand on the earth at the last day, but I hope to see him before that, the Lamb in the midst of the throne. Oh, it will be a beautiful company. The spirits of just men made perfect, and Jesus the mediator of the new covenant. Oh, for grace, grace to be patient to the end. When one said, keep the light of the window from him, he said, truly light is sweet, and a pleasant thing it is to behold the sun the Son of Righteousness, O glorious light, when the Lamb is the light of the temple. We cannot have a conception of it now. I have not seen, or ear, ear heard, etc. Seeing his youngest child, he caused them to bring him to him, and said, Mary, my dear, the Lord bless you. The God of your father and my father bless you. The God that fed me all my life. The angel that redeemed me from all evil, evil, bless you and the rest and be your portion. That is your a goodly heritage. Better than if I had crowns and scepters to leave you. My child, I receive you from him and I give you to him again. To his wife he said, Encourage yourself in the Lord. He will keep you even though you come into enemy's hands. Surely he will cause the enemy to treat you well. He then declared his willingness to part with his dearest relatives and said, This is the practical part of religion, to make use of it when we come to the strait. This is a lesson of practical divinity. When the physician came in, he addressed him in the following solemn and pungent language. Doctor, as to this piece of work, you are nearly at an end with it. I wish you to lay it to heart. Death will come to your door also. It is a business of great importance to die like a Christian, and it is a rare thing. Christ himself has told us that there are few that shall be saved, even among them that are outwardly called. I wish the Lord himself may show you kindness. The greatest kindness I am now capable of showing you is to recommend serious religion to you. There is the reality of religion, Doctor, but this is an age that has lost the sense of it. He has not said to the house of Jacob, Seek ye my face in vain. 
atheists will one day see whether it be so or not. I bless God that I was educated by godly parents and the principals of the Church of Scotland. I bless him that when I come to riper years, I did on much on mature deliberation make these principles my choice. I bless the Lord who have been helped ever since to adhere to them without wavering. I bless him that have seen that holiness yields peace and comfort in prosperity and adversity. What should I seek more or desire more to give me evidence of the reality of religion? Therefore I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believeth. I am so far from altering my thoughts of religion by reason of the present contempt thrown on it and opposition made to it that these things endear it the more to me. After much more of the same kind he said, Well, Doctor, the Lord be with you and persuade you to be in earnest. I return you thanks for your attention. After a pause he proceeded, Everyone that is in Christ Jesus must be a new creature. He must have union with Christ and a new nature. That is the groundwork of religion. The Christian religion is little understood by the most of us. Oh, the gospel of Christ. How purely was it preached in this place when I was at the university, though I found not the sweetness of it at that time as I have found it since. It has fallen on me like showers on the mown grass. Verily, there is a reality in religion. Few have lively impressions of it. Nor now get acquaintance with God. The little acquaintance I have had with God these two days has more than 10,000 times repaid the pains I have in all my life taken about religion. It is a good thing to have God to go to when we are turning our face to the wall. He is known for a refuge in the palaces of Zion. A very present help in trouble. Oh, there is a strange hardness in the heart of man. To his children, he said, My children, I have nothing to say to you but that ye be seekers of God. Fulfill my joy. Alas, that I was so long in beginning to seek God, and yet I was touched with convictions that God was seeking me. Before I arrived at the years of some of you, to his eldest daughter he said, Margaret, you seem sometimes to have convictions. Beware of them. They are the most dangerous things you ever meddled with. For though you may seek not God, every one of them is God's messenger. And if you despise God's messenger, he will be avenged on you. My dear, seek the Lord. And be your mother's comfort. He requested that the 138th of Samuel Rutherford's letters should be read to him, and then said, This is a book I would recommend to you all. There is more practical religion in that letter than in some large volumes. When the three ministers of the place came to see him, he addressed them with great fidelity and affection. Dear brethren, it is not from any confidence in myself, but out of sincere love to you, and from what I myself have experienced, that for your encouragement, I presume to say, when the Lord helped me to diligence in studying and meditating, I found him then remarkably shining upon me and testifying his approbation of a sincere mind. There is nothing to be had with a slack hand, and to one of them who had recently endured the ministry, your entry into the ministry is likely to fall on an evil day, but there is one thing for your encouragement. You have a call. The times will make hard work for you in this place, but that which makes you work the harder is that the people are hardened under a long course of pure gospel ordinances. However, be faithful, and God will strengthen his own work. I will not say that you will get things brought to a state you would desire, but I'll tell you I have one thought, and I'll abide by it. If ministers will ply their work, though they cannot bring sinners to the Lord, they may make their consciences that a prophet has been among them speak for the Lord, whether they will or not. Now, brethren, give diligence. Hold fast what you have, 
I must say a word unto my brethren. It is on my heart. I am young, but I am near the end of my life, and that makes me old. It becomes me to take advice from you. However, I only wish to exhort you to diligence and the common salvation. I repent I did not more, but I have peace in reflecting that what I did, I did sincerely. Except, said the knight, it was a light in my heart to preach the gospel, and it made me sometimes neglect the frail body. I ever thought, if I could contribute to the saving of a soul, it would be to me a star, a crown, a glorious crown. I know this was the thing that I aimed at. I desired to it decrease, that the bridegroom might increase, and to mean nothing, that he might be all. And I rejoice in his exaltation. To two ministers who came from the country, he said, Brethren, we have need to take care with the great apostle, as when we have preached Christ to others, we ourselves should be castaways. We have need to fear, lest it be so. Happy is the man that feareth always. Be diligent in preaching the gospel. Let it be your care not only to be diligent in composing sermons, but above all to scan your own hearts, to enable you to dive into consciences, to awaken hypocrites, and to separate the precious from the vile, and to do it with such accuracy as not to make sad the hearts of those whom God would have made glad. The great point in religion and in the management of your ministry is that you may obtain the testimony of the great shepherd when he shall appear. As to the work of the ministry, it was my delight, my deliberate choice, and were my days lengthened out much more, and the times as troublesome as they are likely to be, I would rather be a contemned minister of God than the greatest prince on earth. I preached the gospel of Christ with pleasure, and loved it, for my own soul's salvation was upon it, and since I lay down, I have not changed my thoughts about it. I commend it to you all to double your diligence. There may be hard conflicts, but you have a prospect of difficulties between you and the grave. We will all appear good when untried, but we have need to have on the whole armour of God to watch and be sober. To his successor in the parish, which he had served before he came to the university, he said, I have this to say, as to my congregation, that people were my choice. With much peace and pleasure I preached as I could, though not as I should, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Though in all things I own myself to have sinned exceedingly before the Lord, yet I have the consolation that I anxiously aimed at leading them to the Lord Jesus, and another foundation can no man lay. I hope you will build on that same foundation, for as you will in that way save your own soul, so it is the way to save them that hear you. From experience I can say that the pursuing this sincerely is the way of salvation. Signify to them that if it please the Lord to take me away, I die rejoicing in the faith and in the profession of what I preach to them under a low state of body. And without this, I can have no comfort. I would have my people understand that the gospel which I recommended to them, if not received, will be a witness against them. His successor remarked, I am persuaded you have sealed to your ministry in that parish. He answered, We are like our master. Set for the fall and rising again of many, though we do not, though we can do no more. If we are faithful, they shall know that a prophet has been among them. Halliburton conversed much with his friends, and most of his just discourses have been preserved, but we have only room for a small part of what he uttered on his deathbed. A specimen, however, will serve to show the spirit of the man and the state of his mind as well as the whole. Some of his dying speeches are so excellent that I can't think that their insertion will appear tedious. But besides his discourses with his friends and visitors, he drew up a paper in the form of a last will or testimony in which he gives at large his views of doctrine and worship. 
The whole of this paper is highly worthy of attention, but we can only insert the following extract. <coughs> Everything in God's way and his word is glorious, honourable and like himself. He needs none of our testimonies, but it is the best that we can do to signify our wishes to have his praises celebrated. And I, being so many ways obliged, take this solemn occasion to acknowledge, before I leave the world, these among my other innumerable obligations. And I desire to bequeath this as my last, best legacy to my family, even my serious and solemn advice that they should make choice of God for their God. He has been my father's God, the God both of my wife's predecessors and mine, and he has been, we hope, our God. And I recommend him to my children for their God, solemnly charging them, even all of them, as they will be answerable on the great day, to make it their first care to seek after God with peace and reconciliation through Christ crucified, and being reconciled to make it their constant care to please him in all things. I beseech them with all the love of a father, as they love their souls, that they sit not down short of a saving acquaintance with him, that they wait diligently upon the means of grace, and to tend the worship of God in all duties, especially secret and family duties, and that they carefully attend public ordinances. Beware of contending yourselves with the mere form of these duties, but cry to the Lord for communion with him in them, and for the outpouring of the Spirit, whereby ye may be enabled to worship God who is a Spirit, in Spirit. It is my charge to you, and that in which I am more concerned than in anything relating to you, that you follow him fully, without turning to the right hand or to the left. In this way I dare promise you blessedness. If you, follow, if you follow this way, I do bless you all, and pray that he who blesses, and they are blessed, may bless you all. I have, often as I could, devoted all of you to God, and there is nothing I have so much at heart, as that ye may indeed be the Lord's. And if you turn aside from his way, I would have this be a standing witness against you in the day of the Lord. Oh, that God himself, by his grace, may, in the day of his power, determine your tender hearts to seek him early, for then will he be a good portion unto you. When some people came in to see him, he said, For these fourteen or fifteen years I have been studying the promises, but I have seen more of the book of God this night than in all that time. Oh, the wisdom that is laid up in the book of God. I know that a great deal that comes from a dying man will go for canting and raving, but I bless God that he has preserved to me the little judgment that I had, and I have been enabled with composure to reflect on his dealing with me. I am sober and composed, if ever I was so. And whether men will hear or forbear, this is my testimony. The operations of the Spirit of God are ridiculed in this day. But if we take away the operations and influence of the Spirit of God in religion, I know not what is left. He promised the Spirit to lead us into all truth. Oh, that this generation will await to seek after the quickening influences of the Spirit. Oh, for a day of the downpouring of the Spirit from on high, in a work of conversion. For such a day as that when the Spirit of God effectually reached our, forefathers, our fathers and brought forth great men and caused others to be conquered by them, the residue of the Spirit was with him. The state of the church was much on his mind, and he was greatly concerned for Scotland, lest a dry, formal and merely rational religion should prevail, of which he saw some symptoms. He expressed also strong apprehensions that the judgments of God were about to be inflicted on his country. The welfare of his pupils also engaged much of his attention. He often expressed a desire to have them around him, that he might give them one practical lecture from his deathbed. But as this could not be done, it being vacation, 
he dictated a letter to the students of theology in which he gives them solemn and useful advice. He recommended to them the perusal of the writings of the great Dr. John Owen, but immediately added that the Word of God, in dependence on the Spirit of God, must be your study and meditation day and night. Words cannot express what I have found of God since I came to this bed of languishing. I am bold to recommend to you this work as the most hon- noble, honourable, and advantageous you can be employed in. I am, and I am this day sure from experience that it is better to serve the Lord in the gospel of his Son than to serve the greatest princes on earth in the highest station. If God calls you in this service, the reward is too great to be expressed. My thoughts, my words are swallowed up, and my affection toward you is such that my body would quite sink to speak what is in my heart. I love to you and desire to have you acquainted with my dearest Lord, to whom I am always deeply obliged and am now so much indebted that I fear to mention how good he has been to my soul. Oh, choose him, plead to him, serve him, study to know him more and more, live in communion with him, never rest until you reach eternal communion with him. I have desired my brother-in-law to sign this in my name. I wish nothing more than that when you have done much service to the church here, I may have the happiness of hearing you approved by the great shepherd. As his disease was a pulmonary consumption, he lasted long and retained the uninterrupted exercise of his reason. And after the first severe conflict, of which mention was made, he enjoyed peace and joy without intermission and manifested in various ways. And particularly by his heavenly discourse, the power of divine grace and the eminence of that faith in Christ by which he was so remarkably supported to the end, he lost no opportunity of seeking to benefit all who approached him and often addressed him to his wife and children individually in the most tender and earnest manner. And as many ministers came to see him, he exercised great fidelity in his solemn exhortations to them to be diligent and faithful in the work of the Lord. (coughs) At length the powers of nature were exhausted, and for some days he was in a dying state. Among his last words were, Free grace, free grace, not unto me. And when his speech had utterly failed, when one said, I hope you are encouraging yourself in the Lord, he lifted up his hands and clapped them. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video, or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, 
I have not commanded them whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.